Hello, everyone. Sean Lovejoy, founder and CEO of CourageToLead.com and friend and partner with Exponential and founder Todd Wilson. And I'm standing in him for, for him today. He's actually out on sabbatical. So pray for him and his family while he's away for a few weeks. He's going to come back ready to charge hell with a water gun, I imagine, Tim. Uh, it will be scary, the fire. This man has fire all of the time, but being a way to work on him and work on it, you know, it's going to be advantageous for the kingdom as well as the exponential movement. You know, in the meantime, I'm joined today by a new friend of mine, uh, Tim Mori. He's the senior pastor of Life Covenant Church in Torrance, California. Welcome aboard, Tim. Thanks, Sean. Great to be here. Great to have you, man. We've admired each other from a, from a distance for a while, just recently got to know each other. And we both have a heart for pastors, specifically church planters. Can you tell your church planting story without having to go all the way back to your mother's womb? Yeah. Well, uh, so I'm 18 years deep into church planting now. Uh, we started Life Covenant Church in my living room 18 years ago, and uh, we're happy to still be alive and kicking after 18 years. It's been a good run. We, uh, we've been blessed to be able to plant a number of churches out of our church and uh, in our uh, I can't deny that it's it's not at many times just a hot mess, but it's a beautiful mess. God's doing some really nice things with us here, and we feel pretty blessed. Inquiring minds want to know, you know, you're in one of the states that's, you know, been in the crosshairs of, you know, critique and criticism as to how the pandemic's been handled and all of that. How has it affected you guys positively and negatively? How have you stayed above the negativity, navigated, you know, politics? Etc. Boy, uh, it has been, it's been quite a time for sure. Uh, on the whole, we feel pretty blessed. Uh, we were, we were locked down all together, just online only for about 16 months. Uh, in spite of that, uh, it went pretty good. We, we gained new people during that time. Now we're back open and almost every week I've got people coming in and I'll introduce myself to them and so, yeah, we've been with you for three months. This is just the first time we're here in person, that kind of thing. So uh, it's it's been good. Uh, the church giving went up during COVID, which was amazing to me. And people hung in really well. They took good care of each other. It's really proud of them. They did well. That's great, man. Well, you're, you're an author. You're a professor. You're a pastor. You're all of those things. Um, you have a heart for writing. You have a heart for church planters. And planting, you've written a new book called Planting a Church Without Losing Your Soul. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Yeah, so uh, probably for the last 15 years, in addition to being a church planter myself, I've been working with other church planters, uh, churches that we've planted. Uh, I was part of the national leadership for our denomination's church planting arm for a time, doing assessing and training, and I still do coaching with them. And then I ended up teaching on this, too, at Fuller Seminary. We started a church planning program at Fuller, and I've been privileged to be part of that. So all that to say, it's given me a lot of exposure to other church planters. And uh, I think where my heart has really kind of gravitated the most in that is just towards the health of the church planner. I've, I've seen, and I think you've seen this too, Sean, that uh, for so many planters, the thing that ends up undermining them is not a lack of ministry skills. It's it's an underdeveloped spiritual life. It's when the work outstrips their capacity to be able to minister from a place of real health. 
And so this book sort of came out of that, uh, my time working with planters and uh, trying to help them and myself work towards being a healthy pastor. And in your book, you talk about, you know, nine questions that church planners, you know, ought to ask um, of themselves and ask each other without having to run down all nine You know, can you give people a couple of examples of the types of questions, you know, you challenge church planners to ask? Yeah, I think it's good for us to ask questions uh, like the question of suffering. Uh, Am I ready to embrace a life that's going to be peppered with difficulty? Uh, Power is a huge issue, I think, among church planners. Uh, Am I becoming a safe person for vulnerable people? Uh, The question of obscurity, can I keep doing this if nobody notices? The question of pace is another important one. Am I treating church planting like a marathon and not like a sprint? Uh, Questions of family, and there's there's the whole list there, but uh, questions that I think really get at some of the blind spots that we often encounter as planters. Well, you know, you and I have spoken offline about this, but I, I started coaching pastors actually 20 years ago. And I did so at first, really, because I'd had a few friends, you know, disqualify themselves. Uh, Year three of our plant, my wife called me on the carpet for being a workaholic. (laughs) You'd never heard that story before, have you? And the good news is, like, if anyone ever repented, like I repented before it got bad, you know, before really anybody else noticed. And we kind of took back our ministry, you know, but it's. It's more difficult than it's ever been. I tell Tim, you'll love this. I don't think you and I have spoken about this, but, you know, I planted, you and I planted before Instagram, before Twitter, Mm -hmm. you know, and so before Facebook. And so, man, we break a hundred people. Well, my, the church I grew up in was 150 years old. It ran 300. Like I thought we were the fastest growing church in the world. Right. (laughs) And now like, it doesn't matter what you've done. You're so tempted to quickly compare yourself, you know, to what's happened out there, you know, in kingdom world. You're in, you're in, you know, Southern California. There are a lot of large churches, you know, in and around that area. Some people don't even realize that a lot of large, you know, Protestant church. Talk about your own journey there, Tim, for you to nail this down personally. Yeah, well, you're right, Sean. There's a lot of large churches here and we're not one of them. Uh, We're, church of a couple hundred folks soaking wet, you know, including our kids. Uh, that's, that's about how many call life their home. And, and actually, we feel grateful for that. We're in a community that it's only about 5% uh, is in the church in any given Sunday. That's some difficult soil. But uh, for me, I think that comparison journey has been, it's been a difficult one. Uh, when I went through seminary, it seems every book, every article, every conference speaker, it was all about being a dynamic leader who built a big church uh, through the help of some, maybe some other writers like Eugene Peterson and Dallas Willard. I eventually reoriented the way I looked at being a pastor and was able to think more about what it meant to build bigger Christians instead of building bigger churches and found a lot of peace in that as well as, as a lot of, of very beautiful and fruitful ministry. It's great, man. It's great. Needed out there. Uh, Church planners, pastors, we want to hear from you. Begin to chat in and ask us your questions today uh, because this is a real deal. This is a real deal. Uh, And you have a chapter 
that I want to talk about in particular on like the temptations and the misuse of power um, in the book. I want to camp out on that for just a moment. You know, how do you think this is a particular concern for church planters, you know, other than the obvious <laughs> mm-hmm. to, to talk about the, the, the temptation, you know, to misuse power as a church yeah. planter. I think power misuses of power are insidious because we often don't see them until we're, we're right in them. Uh, Richard Foster writes really profoundly on this. He had a book years ago uh, that was, was all about the sex and power and, He makes this assertion there that I've always found really chilling. Uh, He says that in the West, we're really quick to spot sins that have to do with sex and have to do with money. And if a pastor falls into sin in one of those areas, the response is immediate and it it might mean the end of their ministry. But power, he asserts, power and misuses of power are things that we often don't see. Sometimes we mistake those for, quote unquote, strong leadership. And we often reward pastors who perhaps are, are abusive or mean or uh, just very difficult uh, to and for those that they serve. And so I think it's one of those temptations that we have to be very careful of, and particularly as church planners, because we don't have an existing structure around us that can be sort of a natural source of accountability, right? If you are the founding pastor of a church, and especially if you are drawing in mostly unchurched people with no church history, you don't have uh, most often an established body of elders, a team around you, uh, who's able to, to step in and say, hey, this doesn't look right, or many churches are independent. They don't have somebody over them. Or even if you are part of a denomination, for the most part, your conversations with your bishop or superintendent those are coming through you. It's not through members of your church. And so uh, church planners find themselves in a unique position to wield a lot of power without a lot of checks and balances. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think, Tim, looking across the landscape of a lot of these moral failures that have made the headlines, you know, and there are lots of others that don't, but I think, you know, one of the, the cross threads that I see, is that there was a culture of fear that had been built, you know, at the second tier of leadership. That's right. And the leaders around them, whether it was their buddies or their board, you know, did not feel the permission when their antennas were up, when there were checks in their spirit, you know, to approach, you know, leaders. And I tell leaders all the time, like, you've got to be proactive. You've got to mind for this. You've got to ask. You've got to, give people permission in advance and let them know you're not going to be defensive, you know, when they approach you, because it's not, if I'm going to sin (laughs) and if I'm going to frustrate people and if I'm going to be tempted to abuse my power, it's when and how often I'm going to be tempted because I have a sinful nature and iron sharpens iron. So if I'm, if I'm mowing over people or I'm intimidating people or I'm disempowering people, or if I come across as arrogant, I'm on social media, (laughs) I'm giving you permission in advance, you know, to call that out, you know, in, in, in me, you know, what, what specific advice would you give these planters who are starting out, you know, to, to build that kind of culture, you know, among their leadership? Yeah. Well, 
Uh, one in particular, Sean, you just mentioned is what the ancients used to call the discipline of submission. And it's, it's just what you said. It's, it's don't wait for somebody to come along and call you to account. Go and seek out people that you can put yourself under, whether that's informal in terms of uh, sort of accountability relationships, whether that's more formal as a coaching relationship or, or with your board or uh, making sure that, that you are not an unchecked authority, that you are not a source of power uh, unto yourself, but that you are connected with others in such a way that they are regularly looking into and speaking into your life. Yeah, and I would just say, guys, you need people like that inside the church, you know, and outside the church. You know, those are both small circles, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and there is such a thing as appropriate disclosure. You don't want to lose your right to lead and not everybody needs to know everything. But you need some people with permission, you know, for you. It's one of the values of coaching, you know, to have somebody outside the church looking over your shoulder and looking at what you post. Uh, but it's great to have some people who, who see you day in and day out as well. One of the flaws that I see with these external boards with their buddies who are pastors, you know, in church world is, is it's a good start to have an accountability partner, but if they're not on the front lines with you every day, they're not watching your life day in and day out. It's hard for them to really get an accurate picture. You know, I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm not a big fan from a church health perspective of the external board model. Yeah. It um, only works if you've got internal people as well. That's right. That's right. Somebody has to be close enough. They've, they've got to be on the ground and know what actually happens day in, day out of the church. And it, it's for most, it's kind of the same with a bishop or if, if you're in some kind of a hierarchical denominational structure, usually that person is not close enough to know. And, and if you do have that person, you've got to invite them in, you know, to say to that superintendent or that bishop, these are the people in the church that, that you can call that you can talk to about what's going on in the church. So not everything is being mediated through you as the pastor. Great, man. Hey, if you're just tuning in or if you missed it at the outset, um, I'm having a great conversation today with the lead pastor at Life Covenant Church in Torrance, California. Um, he's also the author of a great new book that's come out, Planting a Church Without Losing Your Soul. And I bet it's even applicable, Tim, to guys who haven't planted. I, I, I'm sure there's a ton in there you know, for all pastors. What, what, what chapter in particular has seemed to resonate most with pastors or, or leaders right now? Uh, you know, it surprised me a little bit. It was a bit of a sleeper chapter. I, I wrote a chapter in there on obscurity, uh, learning to minister when nobody else notices. And uh, I've gotten more feedback on that chapter than any other. And sort of the idea there, and, and I'm sure many here on this call will resonate with us as church planters, we're typically a pretty ambitious lot. Uh, we, we dream big dreams and we pray big prayers and, and we're doing this because we want to do big things for the kingdom. Uh, reality is uh, most pastors do not end up leading a church of a thousand people or 2000 people or even 500 people. Nor are they supposed to. And nor are they supposed to, exactly. And, and for so many pastors, when they don't end up leading all these tons of people, they feel like failures. You know, they think they've blown it. What's wrong with me that God wouldn't use me in this way? And they fail to realize that well over 90% of all churches are 
100, 150, 75 people. I mean, they're, they are smaller outposts of the kingdom. And I, early on, I had to come to grips with this idea of, okay, confronted with, with the reality of these numbers, either 90 plus percent of all churches are failures, or this is what God intends, that the normal way for church to happen is in family size units. We're able to know each other's names, know each other's stories, and that's the normal context for disciple making to happen. Uh, that isn't, by the way, an anti-big church statement of any kind. I believe we need we need all churches from micro to mega. We need all of those to see God's work done. But for the church planner, I think one of the questions we have to ask for our own health is, am I willing to labor hard for the glory of God if nobody notices except for those 75, 100, 150 people that know my name, <laughs> those people that I lead, and I never have any notoriety beyond that particular mission field. That's so great, man. That's so great. So let's let's we've talk, we're talking about unhealthiness a lot. What 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 are the few practices that you see uh, healthy church planners? Let's talk about the picture of a healthy church planner. Maybe I'm pre-launch. Maybe I'm post-launch. You know, maybe I've been out here a while. Maybe I'm thinking about planting. You know, what are those things I need to, you know, make sure that I'm looking inwardly, you know, about and I need other people peering in, you know, paying attention to? Well, here's this is sort of my top five that I've observed and that I give to church planners. And I'll just bullet point them. And if there's any, Sean, you want to drill down on. But uh, I talk to church planners about the importance of solitude and silence of regularly having engagements with God where you're able for extended periods to be quiet, to let the Holy Spirit do the work in your soul that he needs to do. Uh, paired with that is the second one is meditation on scripture, just drinking deeply in the word of God. It's that John 15 principle uh, that is, as we abide in Christ, that much fruit comes through us. And apart from him, no fruit dies. Embracing that well. Uh, Sabbath keeping is a third. Uh, pastors that don't really commit to keeping Sabbath and keeping it well don't live long in the land. Uh, it's key to being sustainable over time. Uh, our physical well-being, uh, diet and exercise and sleep. Church planners and pastors in general are notorious for neglecting these. And my recommendation to pastors is always to treat these not just as a physical practice, but as an actual spiritual discipline. This is part of how I worship God is by honoring God with my body. Uh, and then fifth, having a coach or a spiritual director or a mentor or all three. Uh, but again, it's that reaching outward and looking for people who can help us with both our ministry practice. That's more the coach. Uh, and somebody like a spiritual director helps us in the upkeep of our soul. But we need to have those external voices that are speaking into. So great, man. I tell pastors, I'll, I'll have pastors say to me, and I know you have Tim too, because you coach as well. They're like, well, ministry is my hobby. I'm like, well, you need counseling for that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, That's get right. a life, get a life. You know, you need something to express outside you know, of what you do for a living. And that's true for marketplace and ministry leaders. You know, we have a marketplace coaching division as well. I have executives say to me, well, my work is my hobby. 
I'm like, no, no, but you you need something outside of what you do vocationally. The word Sabbath, you know, means to cease production, cease mm-hmm. striving. So you you got to have something in your life that is is fun. You know, we have a place on the lake. I love to ski. I work like a dog at our lake house all the time, but it's different. You know, mm-hmm. I'm exhausted, but it's 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 great for me. I love to garden. I've sworn off golf. It's bad for my testimony and my faith. You know, I get more angry, you know, so it's, 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 you know, guys, you need to work and find things that restore your soul, that energize you. I'll never forget years ago, Tim, our family had scheduled a Disney world trip and I, I'd been running hard, you know, at the church. I was like, I was privately, privately, thinking to myself, the last thing I need is a Disney World trip, you know, right now. And so we take our three young children at the time, you know, off to Disney World. And the goal for six days was to conquer every line, mm-hmm. work the perfect schematic of Disney World right, right. and wait no longer than 20 minutes. But I tell you what, I came back refreshed because guess what? While my mind was totally engaged in something else. I had been able to put the anxiety and the concerns of day-to-day vocational ministry out of my mind. And I was totally refreshed. Most pastors don't need physical rest. You know, they need emotional rest. We live sedentary lifestyles, most of us, but we we need to rest our soul, rest our mind. And, And pastors, if you're listening today, you need to find that, you know, in your life, get a life. Get something you're passionate about that makes you sit up on the edge of the edge of your seat and makes your eyes big. That's not, you know, what you do the other six days a week and and some time with your family and some downtime, some meditation time. All those things are really, really good. We've got an audience questions come in. And for the rest of you guys, <clears throat> excuse me, make sure you send in your, in your questions. Um, here's a question. How do you balance the tension of protecting the vision. I wrote a whole book on that uh, and core values versus creating a space where people feel comfortable voicing their concerns, you know, or questioning like how we do things. Um, you take a whack at that one, Tim. Uh, that's, that's a perceptive question because those things often are intention. Uh, a couple of things I'd say there. The first is as we come to a place of creating vision and values, I'd say make sure they're done in community. If those things come 100% from your mind as the church planner, as sort of an executive leader, uh, the level of buy-in is not going to be the same as if you maybe come with a vision that's 80% formed and others are speaking into and, and rounding out that vision. Uh, if if you want to experience less of that tension, more people have to own the vision. And so I'd say involve them in it, even at the outset, if you're, if you're planting, right? If you have the, the uh, opportunity to start with a blank slate, get others speaking into that vision too and, and come to it together. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I add to that too is just to say, um, uh, to openly invite the questions. They're not something to be feared. As, as people challenge, as they bring other suggestions, some of those you're going to find are very compatible with the vision that the church has come to. The more clarity you have around that vision, then the better you're going to be able to say whether that's the case. But sometimes people will bring something that feels like a challenge to the vision, 
and it, it ends up actually really fitting and enhancing the vision. Very true. And then, of course, other times it's, it's not a fit, and we do a kindness to people when we're very clear about their idea not being a fit too. Uh, but we, if, we're, if we're clear on the vision, then it's easier to know which way to handle that. Yeah, I tell I tell guys and gals, Tim, you know, consider the source. Mm. There are people in your church you should not listen to ever, mm. you know, and there are people you should listen to. And you should only listen to people, guys, who, you know, and perceive love God with their all their hearts, love you with all their hearts, because I can take a difficult truth from Tim if I know he loves me. <laughs> he can challenge me if I know he wants the best for me. And, you know, if they do love the overall vision of the church, if, if they meet all three of those criteria, you better be listening because they're for you. They're for the vision. And don't be so defensive, pastor, because <laughs> if you're defensive, you just shut down your best opportunity to get better and for the church to get better. And they see things. They see cracks. They see blind spots that you don't see. So be approachable, you know, be, be open to people speaking into your life, right time, right tone, right temperature, you know, 30 seconds after the, the message out in the lobby is probably not the time, you know, so, hey, can we schedule a time to do that? Can you shoot me an email, you know, and, and the right timing, the right tone, the right temperature, you know, all, and the right person. And all of a sudden you're, you're being sharpened and, 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 and getting better. Shoot in your questions. Um, I'm talking with Tim Mori, lead pastor of Life Covenant Church in Torrance, California. Uh, we've both been coaching church planters and pastors for years. That's why they asked me to kind of facilitate um, this dialogue. They talk about reactions, Tim, to the book um, that you've gotten from people. What, what reactions have not surprised you and have surprised you? Uh, you know, it's been pleasant surprises, which has been great, but uh, I've had more pastors say to me, I, I planned to sit down and read this book in a couple hours, and I, I found I couldn't. It's, it's hitting some places in my soul that are causing real reflection, and it's, uh, so it's, it's been a nice compliment. As pastors have said, it's taken me a lot longer to read this, given that it's a pretty brief book, really. I try to keep it pretty concise, but uh, it's, it's touching deep places. And the other, I think you alluded to before, Sean, and that's how many non-church planners have really benefited from it. Um, lots of pastors of all stripes, uh, some marketplace leaders, small business owners, others have, have come to me and said, you know, this really works in my setting too. It's helping me be a healthier leader in whatever organization it is that I'm leading, whatever church. Talk about, you know, we, we've touched on and around it today, but talk about the Sabbath. Talk about the day off. You know, you've got these tensions. You know, I've talked about it. You've, you're raising teenage girls. Mm -hmm. I've raised teenage girls. Your kids are small, medium, whatever. You know, you feel that tension on your day off. You know, you've got to try to rest your own soul. But a lot of these church planters are young. They've got small children trying to get in some time with their spouse, their children, nurture their own soul. Uh, one of my pastor coaches told me years ago, there's a difference between a, a vacation and a family outing. <laughs> you know, like I described earlier, talk, talk to these guys about how to steward a weekly Sabbath, a weekly off day and nurture their own soul and yet try to be available to their family. Mm. It's a great question. 
So Eugene Peterson has been a great guide to me in this. I think he writes about the Sabbath probably better than anyone, at least for my money. Um, but he sums up the Sabbath in the words pray and play, that it's, it's a day to be quietly attentive to God, and it's, it's a day to enjoy the people that you love. Uh, and I've found that to the extent that I'm able to bring my wife and my kids and close friends into Sabbath keeping, it's, it's been deeply refreshing for me. And I found for many that have coached as well. Uh, there is, though, there is a need additionally uh, sometimes to, to have time by yourself, uh, to have time just with friends. And, and you need to plan for that. If you're married, if you have a family, you need good spousal buy-in for that. And your spouse needs it too. And being a church planner is hard. I think being the wife or the husband of a church planner is harder. And it's important that even as we seek out rest and refreshment for our souls, that it's not exclusive to us, that we're making space for our spouse to be able to get the refreshment they need. And they, in turn, are helping us to get the refreshment that we need. So there's, there's an element of planning uh, that has to happen in that. Uh, but we found over time uh, that as, as we communicate about these things and we discover, okay, what is it that my soul needs? What is the particular recipe, the, the ratio of rest and play and family and solo? Uh, just keep twisting those dials until you get it right and do it. Do it in communication with your family or those you live with. Make sure it's sort of a community project. And, and, and I would add this as well, is make sure it's something that your church understands. One of the things I love about being a church planter is you get to, in large part, set the expectation for what the church is going to be like, including what the role of the pastor is going to be like. And so this is something that we've taught the church. We teach them to take a Sabbath. And in the course of that, I teach them what my Sabbath is like. I take Fridays. And, um, you know, unless something really urgent happens, people leave me alone on Fridays. They, you know, it's just kind of baked into the rhythm of our life together as a church, that, that that's downtime for me. And so um, the church has become a wonderful partner in my health, uh, just as I try to be a, a partner to them in their spiritual health as well. That's good. I will say, you know, coaching a lot of pastors, you know, there are two categories of church leaders, you know, that kind of make discipleship and evangelism happen within the body of life of the church. You got those that kind of get prepared for the weekly gatherings and you've got those that follow up, you know, from the weekly gatherings. So if you, if, if you prepare for the weekly gatherings, a lot of time your energy and urgency ramps up and the message, for example, if you're preaching. So it was always difficult for me, Tim, to shut it down on Friday, knowing we had Saturday night services. So I realized over time, like the best time for me to take off is Monday. That's my Sabbath because I need to recover for multiple weekend services, I can procrastinate everything, including the sermon, you know, on Monday, you know, whereas if you follow up from the weekend, you know, and you're helping people take those next step and follow up with spiritual decisions, et cetera, et cetera, you probably feel more urgency at the beginning of the week. So you can create a ministry rhythm, guys, with your leadership. Like we put all of our meetings on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, you know, with our leadership so that 
I, I told him, be as consistent as you can, one or the other. It's going to be better for you and your family and for the staff to know. But pick Monday or Friday. And this was just kind of our body life. And in our ministry reviews, Tim, we always had their their willingness to take the Sabbath you know, and take their vacation. That was part of their review process. So clarity breeds accountability. Like we're going to hold this up as something we value, you know, on paper. And you and I both get a little bit worried when we hear pastors and church planners say, we have a whatever it takes mentality. You know, well, that that's a slippery slope, my friend. You know, the ox can't always be in the ditch. Uh, the way we say it in the South, you know, so one, one church planner asked today, Tim, how do you transition out of that urgency and intensity? I've told guys, if you're planting a church, you're not probably not going to get it done in 40 days a week, 40, 40 hours a week early on. But how do you transition out of that startup, urgent, intense mode, you know, and, and, and get back into a healthy rhythm long run? How do you know when to make that transition? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's a key question. I've got a whole ch- chapter in the book on this, just on pacing. Uh, I'm, so I, I'm a runner. That's one of my, my hobbies and part of how I, I keep myself sane. I think you need counseling um, for that, by the way. <laughs> say that again, John? I think you need counseling for that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Running as a hobby. Right, right. I, well, it wasn't always. I used to only run if somebody was chasing me, but uh, <laughs> something happened, something switched, and and uh, I found actually I pray really well when I run. So it became kind of a dual physical and spiritual discipline. But uh, when I started running, I ran the way that a lot of us plant our churches. I mean, I just ran hard, mm-hmm. and uh, I discovered pretty quickly that I couldn't go near as far as I imagined in my head that I could. I thought uh, first day I laced up my shoes. I thought three miles, you know, I'm young and healthy, no problem. But at the speed I was going, I got about a mile before I was about to pass out on the nearest lawn. I was running past, but uh, I had to learn that if I wanted to run farther, the pace had to match that. And as church planners, I find this is one of the most difficult things for us to learn. Uh, the discipline of Sabbath keeping helps us discover what healthy rhythms are. I think that's a really key one that has a lot more to do uh, with your rhythms than just that one day. It teaches you how to manage your energy. It teaches you what health looks like for you. And I think that's part of God's gift to us in the Sabbath. Uh, you know, to the, the particular nuance of this question, um, just as a rule of thumb, uh, I tell new church planners, if if you are still running at an insane pace more than three months into your launch, then wherever you're at, you've got to dial it back. Uh, you're not going to be able to sustain that pace for too, too long if you don't start learning how to get it into a healthy place. So, so we, we give planners kind of a three-month window and say, okay, you can run unhealthy for that long, but if it gets any longer than that, things really have to start changing. And, and of course, I'll say in that, um, we coaching on our church planners. I think it's so important. Church plan guru Bob Logan says, having a coach is the single most important thing that you can do as a church planner. I think he's right. And so as coaches from day one, we're working with them saying, okay, are you developing the people and the systems around you 
that are going to allow you to have a ministry that's functioning well while you're running at a sane pace. Because without those things, you have no choice but to run as hard as you can until you finally break. Yeah, and I tell church planners, Tim, it's not your, your, your spouse, your children, they're not demoralized by an intense season. Their fear is that, oh, my gosh, is it going to always be this way? Right. Is this the right. norm? So there are seasons of intent, just as there's you know, time to work and a time to play during the week. There are annual seasons of intensity before Easter, before Christmas, in the fall. The fish are schooling like we got to be ready. You know, so there are going to be more intense ministry seasons. So I always found a lot of value, even with my family, scheduling some play, scheduling some time off, you know, letting them know this is going to be about an eight week, you know, sprint. It's going to be kind of crazy over the next couple of months. But, hey, we're going to go away and then we're going to enter into a new season. I can almost feel the air come back in my house, Tim, you know, when I have those kinds of conversations. They just know that there's an end in sight and it's not going to, that, that there's a hopelessness, a despair that begins to creep in when they think, Oh my gosh, is this what we signed up for, you know, for the rest of our lives? Yeah. And, and I think there's a real power, Sean, in, in naming that, you know, and saying to your family or those closest to you, Hey, we're entering the season for, for me, it's usually when, when there's some kind of a crisis, right. Where I'll be able to name that and say, Hey, I'm pretty sure the next five, six weeks, I'm going to be out more nights than any of us are comfortable with. Uh, but, but just to name it. And in that, there's that relief you're speaking of. And I think also some accountability. You know, if those right. six weeks come and go and I'm still running around crazy, the family can come back to me and say, hey, I thought this was a season. And that's really important, too. I want to just talk about that a little bit. It's a great segue. Let's talk about the conversation with our spouse. You know, you and I both had this uh, opportunity to be speaking to a group of planter couples. And while I'm talking about this, I look over and the church planter spouse is weeping. There's pain there already. They're not talking about this. Sometimes they have talked about this. You know, help, help, help a spouse of a workaholic <laughs> for just a moment. You know, how do you approach that lead planter and say, hey, I'm concerned about us. I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned about our pace. I'm concerned about our rhythm. Help them have that conversation if they're watching or listening today. Yeah, you know, my, my coach, when we were first starting as a church, he was fond of saying to me, even though I didn't like hearing it, he said, you know, if you lose your family, you lose your ministry too. And that little blast of sobriety so important. And I, I would say that to every church planner that's with us today too, is you have to remember that your first and nearest mission field is your family. And if, if we fail there, we fail, period. Uh, and so we have to cultivate the, the kind of rhythms that are going to be healthy for the family. And uh, In terms of sort of practical steps in that, uh, I find that uh, our family and if you're married, in particular, your spouse, that person is, is the biggest expert on what it is that is needed. That's great. So ask. As simple as that sounds, many of us don't. And many of us don't, if we're being really honest. We don't ask because we don't want to know the answer. We're afraid that we're going to be required to 
pull back from ministry more than we want to. And then, you know, all of our insecurities are triggered. You know, if, if I don't work this hard, then the church might not succeed. And what does that say about me? And what, you know, this cascading avalanche of emotional responses. Uh, but to, from the outset, to engage in regular open conversation with your spouse about, hey, how are we doing? How, how is this church plan experience affecting you? Are you getting enough of me? Are the rhythms that we have of rest and play, are they working? Um, you, you know, we, this is a very practical thing too, um, but it's a good thing to talk about with the spouse. So for me and for our staff, uh, we have a, a uh, three-night maximum of, of nights that you can be engaged in ministry. Love and that's, that's maximum, like in case of crisis, right? That's not three regular nights per week. That if you're going to stay under three, then you need to have one, maybe two nights where you're doing ministry in the course of a week. No more than that. And then, you know, when stuff's on fire and crazy things happen, you've got a little margin that maybe you can once in a blue moon engage in one more evening of ministry. But we really try to protect those. And then to ask the question, where can I, where can I protect other times in the week if I am working at night? Well, how do I compensate for that? How do I make time over here in this other space for me to be with family and make sure that I'm present to them in a way where, you know, where, where my kids, this is one of my goals. I want my kids to grow up and have no question that I love them more than I love this church. If they have to seriously question that, then then that tells me I'm doing something desperately wrong. And so that, uh, that motivates me to keep this an open conversation with the family where we're talking about what's healthy. You know, Tim, I tell pastors all the time that every pastor is an interim pastor. You know, you're going to, to leave uh, under one of two circumstances. When everybody wants you to leave or when no one wants you to leave, like I got to leave when nobody wanted me to leave. You know, and I got to hand that church off. And then you realize you've got to decrease so the next guy can increase. You don't cast too big of a shadow there, you know, and you have to kind of slip into the shadows. And you realize, wow, if I finish with a team, I finish with my family. Really, that is my team. It's going to stay with me forever if I if I do this right. And now having handed off the church, and in my case, I moved to another city you know, to continue with courage to lead. And I can't tell you how successful it makes me feel that my kids love God and love the church today. You know, it's, it, it's, it's better than any other accolade. We ended up on some of those top fastest growing lists and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that pales in comparison, bro. In fact, it's not very personally gratifying compared to watching my children thrive you know, and that my wife likes me (laughs) and all of that. And I just say to you guys out there today, we got to get this right. We got to get this right. We got to swing the pendulum back the other way. And if you're listening today, if you're watching and you feel like this is an area of uh, struggle for you, maybe failure for you, probably your spouse already sees it. (laughs) Just saying, probably your kids already feel it. And so you'll get credibility by acknowledging it and owning it. And sometimes we're afraid to let that conversation come out, as Tim mentioned, 
But I actually think two of the most credibility building words we can have in our relationship with God and others is to say, I'm sorry. Hey, I'm sorry. They already know we're a screw up. They're just waiting on us to admit it, to have the humility, you know, and the courage to acknowledge it and talk about it and say, I need to get better at this. We need to do better at this. And I'm I'm, I'm inviting you to hold me accountable to it. And you you make that decision once. What Tim said was profound, guys, that you just you don't you don't wait to see if you have enough time. You don't wait till things slow down. 18 years, Tim, have things ever slowed down in your church? Not yet. It never happens. So you got to decide now who you're going to be and what you're going to do. And we had the same type thing. I, I told my church, I'm going to go home at five o'clock, guys, and I want to be out two nights a week. And then you just make that, then you just manage that decision. You make it once. You don't make it every week. You make it one time. And then you just manage that decision and allow those closest to you to hold it accountable, you know, to it. So, so what I know you do this in the book, Tim, and it's beautiful. I've read the end of the book. <laughs> you know, you offer encouragement to church planters who um, find themselves as fellow strugglers in these areas. Uh, For those that are listening today, watching, you know, here's your shot to encourage those that have tuned in. Maybe by the title of this webinar, it's attracted a certain church planter or church planter spouse, or maybe even a marketplace leader or two that recognizes I'm in trouble. We're in trouble if I don't get this right. Encourage them today. Yeah, well, you know, friends, what I would want to say to you is uh, first is thank you for being a church planner. Mm. Thank you for doing the hard, hard work of serving God in this way. It is not easy. Uh, you You have taken on a difficult task and we dare not do it outside the calling of God and I just want to thank you for saying yes to God in that and acknowledge that what you're doing and the difficulty you're experiencing and the suffering that comes with it is real. It's not in your head. This is tough. Uh, so thank you for taking that on. And I, I also want to tell you, and I mean this, and I've seen this over and over, you can do this in a way that's healthy. You can do this in a way where you honor God by taking care of yourself uh, by being a good steward of, of ultimately the only gift that you have to give to anybody else. And that's, that's you. That's yourself. You can do this in a way that brings health and life to your family. You can do this in a way where the mission of the church is going to be enhanced by your health. Healthy pastors have healthy churches. Unhealthy pastors end up having unhealthy churches. Uh, to care for yourself in this way, it can be done, and the fruit of it will be beautiful for you and for those you lead. So God bless you, and I'm so thankful for you and for what it is that you're doing. Awesome. T- thank you, Tim. I've been visiting with Tim Mori today, pastor at Life Covenant Church, Torrance, California. He serves as church planning coach for the Evangelical Covenant Church, adjunct professor, Fuller Theological Seminary. His new book, uh, planting a church without losing your soul is available. Where can they find it, Tim? Can they find the book everywhere? Are there exceptions to that? Amazon and everywhere else. It's great. Well, I know you've got, you believe God's given you a message and you want to get it out there. 
This book can literally save ministries, can save marriages, can help you put together a healthy pace and a rhythm and culture, build a healthy culture within your team that values this and rewards this. So go buy the book and stay tuned to his ministry. Thank you guys for tuning in on one of the exponential uh, shows today and stay tuned for great content. Let us know your feedback. Drop us a line today. Most helpful uh, tidbit you received in the chat before you jump out today. That's the best encouragement you could give us. Thank you guys for tuning in. God bless.